We love you, Lord. We thank you that we can all tell so clearly you're in this place today. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we just pray you'd meet with us as we dive into your word over these next few minutes together. Meet us where we're at. Take us where you want us to be. And all God's people said. It was just over 18 years ago, I'd only been the pastor here at FCC for probably a couple months, and I remember asking myself, Dane, what on earth were you thinking when you took this job? And I want to be honest with you, it's not because of the church at all. It's not that I was saying, I've got to look for some way to jump ship, abort, 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 none of that at all. See, I was 25 years old, and after a few weeks of preaching to the congregation, I began to notice that there was a lot of gray hair in the room, and the thought hit me seemingly for the first time, Dane, the audacity to think you can teach this group of people something week after week. When you've got people sitting in the pews that have been Christians in some cases twice as long as you've been alive. How arrogant to have thought you could teach them something every week. And it was during that season of ministry that I thought, you know, that's a pretty good question. What was I thinking? But God gave me an even better answer. You know what God told me? He said, Dane, that's true, you've got some old folks in that congregation, but I'm a lot older. And it's true, you've got some wise saints in that congregation. But my word is a whole lot wiser. And Dane, if you will faithfully preach my word every single week, I guarantee you, your age is irrelevant. And I tell you, for a young, insecure preacher, that meant the world to me. And it was during that season back there in 1999 in my early months here at First Christian Church that God, God taught me how to pray. Really pray. And I'm excited as we dive into this series this month because God is going to teach us anew how to pray. Amen? He's going to teach us how to pray. And I just want to let you know that in that season where God was teaching me how to pray, He was teaching me to lean on Him to be able to do things that would be impossible for Dane to do on his own. And it was during that season of prayer as an added bonus, God allowed me to draw closer to Him than I had ever been. And I want to ask you, church, at the start of 2018, is that something you want for yourself? Do you want to be able to do things that you could never do on your own if not by God's strength? Do you want to have your relationship with Jesus Christ grow closer than ever before? Do you want there to be a closeness with Him that you've been missing in recent months? Well, prayer is the key. Prayer is the key. Now, I was thinking about this last night. I was tossing and turning in bed and I had a lot of things on my mind. One of these things was, 
I wanted to make sure that God was speaking this message and not me. I didn't want to get in the way. Well, one of the things that was churning in my mind is when we discover that prayer is the key to that intimacy with God, that prayer is the key to God doing the impossible through us, I, I, this, the thought struck me, you know what? A lot of times we're like Naaman the Syrian. Remember that guy in the book of Kings in the Old Testament? He comes to the prophet Elijah and says, hey, I've got this leprosy. I want you to heal me because I've heard you could heal me. And he says, I want you to go, Naaman, and dip seven times in the Jordan River. And remember Naaman's reaction. He crosses his arm. He gets angry and he huffs and puffs and takes off. I'm not doing that. That's a nasty river. I think a lot of times we're like Naaman when it comes to discovering the secret to having a deeper walk with the Lord. We say, amen, I'm all for it. I want a closer relationship with God. Amen, I want to be able to do things that are impossible for me to do on my own. But as soon as we discover that prayer is the key, we say, count me out. Thanks, but no thanks. I want to share with you some wonderful prayer resources this month. One of them is a great book. It's one of the best books on prayer written in the 20th century by a Norwegian pastor named O. Hallisby. And I want you to listen to what he writes in his book about prayer. He says, Now and then you must ask yourself the question, Do I really desire to be set free from the lukewarmness of my heart and my worldly life? Is not my Christian life always lukewarm and half-hearted for the simple reason that deep down in my heart I desire it that way? Thus, honest souls struggle against the dishonesty of their own being. Ouch. All God's people hear that and say, Ouch. Is not my Christian life always lukewarm and half-hearted for the simple reason that deep down in my heart I desire it that way? Honest souls have to admit that we are dishonest when we say amen at times. We're dishonest when we say, I really want to draw closer to the Lord. We're dishonest at times when we say we want our prayer life to grow. Deep down, the truth is, most of us don't. And we ask ourselves these sobering questions and we have to be honest with ourselves. So here's what I'm hoping at the start of this new year. I'm hoping that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is stirring in your heart this morning, awakening a desire that you haven't felt in a long time. I hope that first of all we're honest and we admit that the truth is my Christianity is weak and stagnant because deep down I want it to be weak and stagnant. I don't read my Bible much because the truth is I don't like reading my Bible very much. I don't do the ministry that God calls me to do because the honest truth is I don't want to do the ministry God calls me to do. And deep down, the truth is I don't have a better and stronger, more vibrant prayer life because I don't want it. Are we going to be honest with ourselves? I hope and pray that God begins to awaken a desire in each of us to see our Christianity grow strong, a desire to read and study His Word, and most importantly, a desire, a longing to pray, to talk with your Lord, to listen to your Lord, and see your relationship with Him blossom into something new and beautiful and vibrant. Let me ask you again, is that something you desire, church? Is that something you really long for?
Well, I do too. We've got a lot of ground to cover this month, so don't miss a single Sunday. It's really important that you're here every week because these weeks we're going to build on the prior weeks what we're learning about prayer, not just in the message but in the whole service. So I want you to make a commitment to be here every Sunday. If there's something beyond your control and you miss a Sunday this month, I encourage you to get a hold of one of those CDs at the booth or go online to our website or go on to Facebook and see the services and listen to those messages. Don't miss a single one because God is going to be doing something this month. Do you believe it? Amen. So I want you to have your Bibles handy. We have those message notes. I encourage you to have those out as well with a pen or pencil. And we're going to cover some ground over the next few minutes. Our home-based prayer in the month of January is going to be what we know as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. So I need you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, grab one of those blue ones from the rack in front of you. Matthew chapter 6 will be starting in verse 15. Most of us know this as the Lord's Prayer. Probably a better title for it would be the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus gave us this as a model prayer for us to pray. He gave it to us so that we would know how to pray more effectively. And so Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, say amen if you're there. Here we go. And when you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, revered, set apart, be your name. You guys listening in the back row back there? Thanks so much. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's so much in this prayer, and since this is basically an introductory message today, I just want to say a few things. First of all, I want you to notice there are six requests in this prayer. The first three have to do with God being glorified. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number two, your kingdom come. Number three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And traditionally, we add uh, that last part to the prayer that is found in some of the later manuscripts, uh, that last part at the end of the prayer, uh, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, now and forevermore, amen. And so this prayer starts with praise. It starts with this wonderful uh, petitioning of God uh, for Him to be honored and glorified both in heaven and on earth. So there's really six requests in this prayer. But for today, I want us in particular to notice that in this prayer we can find a four-point prayer model. A prayer model we've used here at FCC for probably 12 or 15 years. And it's very easy to memorize because it's simply the letters in the word pray, P-R-A-Y. And I want to quickly show you how these elements are in this prayer. And it's there on your handout. I encourage you to fill in those blanks because there's going to be an assignment 
little bit of homework for you this week based on this prayer model. The first part of the Lord's Prayer is praise. That's the P in pray. The P stands for praise. We all have times when we're in a crisis and we don't have a lot of time, so our prayer is short and simple. God help! Ever had one of those kinds of prayers? But as a rule of thumb, our prayers should always contain praise and thanks. And it's a great thing to begin your prayers with praise and thanks. The Lord's Prayer begins with praise and adoration, and so too should our prayers. Before we get into the gimme, 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 God, we need to make sure we're taking some time to praise and thank Him for who He is and what He's done. By the way, if you don't know the difference between praise and thanks, this is the simplest way I can describe it. Praise is lifting up those attributes of God that are true regardless of what He does in your life. When we praise God, we're lifting up His character. God, You are good. You are faithful. You're the Creator. You're our Savior. Those are all things that are real and true of God regardless of what He does in my personal life. Thanks, on the other hand, deals with the specifics. Thank You, God. I praise You because You are my Savior. I thank You because You saved me. See the difference? I praise You because You are good. I thank You because You've been good to me. Because I had three square meals yesterday, didn't you? And so we praise Him for who He is. We thank Him for what He has done. Make sure your prayers contain praise and thanks. Secondly is repent. The R in praise stands for repent. Honestly, confession and repentance are almost non-existent in most Christians' prayers today. I can pick on my kids a little bit because we pray together just about every night. And when we do have part of our prayer that contains some sort of repentance or confession, typically it sounds like this, God, forgive me for the things I did that hurt your heart today. Okay, that's a start. But repentance in our prayers, true repentance, has to be specific. We can't just say something short and vague like, God, I'm sorry for what I did. Now moving on to my request. We have to be serious with God because He's serious about our sin, isn't He? Our sin is serious business to God. We need to get on our knees at times and say, God, I'm so sorry for what just came out of my mouth a few minutes ago. There I was in church singing, Holy Spirit, come. Singing hallelujah, glorifying You, O God. And out of those same lips came an F-bomb and an SOB and cursing my brother or my sister or my spouse. God, this breaks Your heart. Forgive me for allowing cursing to come off these same lips that praise came off just a few hours ago. We need to be honest with God with our sin. God, I'm disgusted that my mind is so full of lust. God, I'm disgusted with this stuff that's gone through my mind in the last week. I'm disgusted by what I've exposed my eyes to in the last week. Guys, I'm not naive. I know that some of our teenage boys and some of our adult men We'll sing the songs of praise on a Sunday morning and view porn on a Monday. And do we really grieve over that in our prayers or do we simply lift up a token, God, forgive me? Women, I know full well that lust and porn has grown at greater lengths, at, at, at a greater pace among females in our culture than ever before in the history of our nation. I know some of you enjoy going and Picking up a, an erotica novel, Fifty Shades of Grey. Some of you have probably seen the movie. Something that no Christian should ever expose their mind to. 
And we call this entertainment, and at times we pay money for it. Do we get on our knees and say, God, I am sorry, what was I thinking? I know you can forgive me, but that's not the point in this moment. The point is, I need to grieve over my sin, because you certainly do. What about gossip? We say things about others behind their back, and it doesn't phase us. Do we get on our knees and say, God, forgive me? Do we say, Lord, you told me to love my wife, and I haven't loved her? Husbands, do we say that? Wives, do we say, God, you called me to respect my husband and I haven't respected him. Father, would you forgive me? Teenagers, God has called you to obey your parents and to submit to their authority. And some of you have acted like totally uh, rebellious punks at times to your parents. Do you get on your knees and say, God, forgive me? Some of you think it's funny. It's not funny. Do we get on our knees and say, God, would you forgive me for what I've done? Please forgive me, O God. Do you see the power in repentance within our prayers? And even with that moving on to the A and Y in that prayer model, some of you could stop right here with repentance and say, I see already what's been missing in my prayers and the secret to having more power in my prayer life. I've been glossing over this, thinking sin's no big deal. Because God's a God of grace, He'll forgive me. Not realizing that His grace is not cheap and doesn't come with blood and tears. The A in pray we all understand is ask. We're all pretty good at that, aren't we? But I want you to notice on your prayer model there, your prayer guide, that I've asked you to ask for three specific things. Not just asking God, you know, give me food today. Not just asking for... Uh, Aunt Myrtle with her lung cancer. But three categories of asking. Number one, I'm asking you to ask for your church. I want you this week to begin praying every day for your church. It's so easy for us to complain. It's so easy for us to say, you know what? Eh, I don't think I'm going to go back to that church. I don't really like the preaching. I went the first Sunday in 2018 and I don't know, a little too fiery from that pulpit. I'm going to go to a church that preaches a lighter message. Okay. Have you prayed for your church every day before making that decision? Those of you that say, you know, I just don't like the music. You know, too many new songs. And I like so-and-so when he's up there. I like this, that. You know what? Have you prayed about it every day? No, I don't like that person that sits a few rows in front of me. Have you prayed about that situation every day? It's so easy to get into a habit of making decisions without praying about them. And God says, I want you to pray for your church. Number two, to pray for your community. Do you pray for your neighbors every day? Do you pray for our city leaders? Do you pray for our president? regardless of whether or not you voted for him, regardless of whether or not you think he's the worst president or the best president ever, do you pray for him? Do you pray that people would be saved? And then number three, ask for your family and ask for yourself. Some Christians pray for everyone except for themselves. That's not good either. You need to pray for your needs. Jesus teaches us that right here in the Lord's Prayer. And then finally, the why in pray stands for yield. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you all remember Jesus as He was crying out to God. His sweat was like drops of blood coming down His cheeks. He was crying out to God, Oh God, if possible, allow this cup to pass from Me. But then He said, Not My will, but Yours be done. Your will be done. We must yield to God's will.
when we've put everything before Him. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. These are four critical pieces to the prayer puzzle. If you leave one out, your prayers will tend to be weak and stale. Anybody want their prayers to be weak and stale? No, we don't want that. We have to make sure we pray as God has taught us to pray. Now, I want to quickly answer five important questions that I'm hoping as you learn the answers to these questions and you own these answers, it will help strengthen your prayer life this month as we begin a new focus on prayer in 2018. I want knowing these five answers to fire up your prayer life. I want that so much for you. Question number one, is prayer a complicated religious act reserved for the super religious? And all God's people say... That's the answer, no. Now, we all know the answer is no, but many of us act on a regular basis like the answer is yes. We know here that the answer is no, but we act like it's a yes. Uh, We find ourselves saying things like this, oh, oh, no, 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 Uh, I I don't want to pray. You pray. You pray instead. I'm not good at praying. I, I wouldn't know what to say. You're a much better prayer than I am. You go ahead and pray. Thanks, but no thanks. How often do we find ourselves saying that? I want you to realize that those kind of statements reveal that deep down many of us think that good prayers are eloquent prayers. And that's not necessarily true. There's some very eloquent prayers that are pretty shoddy prayers. Many of us have bought into our cultural notion that a pastor's prayers or an elder's prayers are better prayers. As a pastor, I can tell you that ain't necessarily true either. There's plenty of pastoral prayers out there that stink. I've probably lifted up some myself. And so we buy into this notion that certain people are better prayers, those that have the title, those that went to seminary, those that may be gifted more than I am with the gift of eloquence. And that is not true. Remember what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, 5-8 through 8, about the hypocrites' prayers. Jesus is talking about who there? He's talking about the professional religious guys. He's talking about the rabbis that went to rabbi school. He's talking about those that went to seminary. He's talking about the religious scholars. Those guys that are professionals, Jesus says what? Don't pray like them. Whatever you do, don't pray like the professionals. Jesus says they've received their reward in full. Do not pray like them. Verse 8, He just flat out says, do not be like them. Friends, you don't need to be eloquent to pray. Do you believe that? Would you say that with me? Because I only got one amen there. Say this with me. I do not need to be eloquent to pray. I said say it with me, then He actually repeated it because I said it wrong. So, say it with me. Okay? I mean it this time. I was joking before. I do not need to be eloquent to pray. I do not need to be eloquent to pray. Say it to the person next to you. I do not need to be eloquent to pray. Did the person believe you? Then tell them again. I do not need to be eloquent to pray. You don't. You don't need to have the perfect words. You don't need your prayers to sound like my prayers. You don't need your prayers to sound like Brennan's prayers. You don't need your prayers to sound like Art's prayers. God has gifted you with a unique voice. He has hand-sculpted you in your mother's womb. Unlike any other creature on earth, you are unique. You pray in your way using this prayer model we're putting before you. 
Just go to God in your weakness and talk with Him with your own unique voice, in your own unique way. And as you talk with Him, praise Him. Repent of your sin. Ask Him to meet your needs and yield to His will. That's it. That's prayer. So is prayer a complicated religious act reserved for the super religious? No, not at all. Therefore, by the way, on these therefores, DJ, hold off until I get to the therefore. Therefore, you need to pray. Therefore, you need to pray. Question number two. What came first? Man talking with God or man talking with woman? Interestingly, the answer is man talking with God. It's true. It's right there in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 22. Before Eve was ever a glimmer in Adam's eye, Adam was talking with God. God told him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was just God and Adam right there. God brought each animal to Adam. And as God brought each animal to Adam, Adam named each animal. And so as Adam's going through the names, God, that looks to me like a platypus. God says, all right, platypus it is. Long neck, giraffe. Giraffe it is. They're having this conversation. God's bringing them one by one, and Adam's naming them. And so they had, according to Genesis 3, it appears that they had this regular habit, God and Adam, of walking and talking together in the garden even before Eve was created. What a glorious thing. So communication with God came first. Here comes the therefore. Therefore, we ourselves should talk with God first. Stands to reason, doesn't it? I've just got to ask you, how many of you are a joy to speak to first thing in the morning? One person. All right. Misty, everybody talk to her in the morning because evidently she's the only one in the room. So, we're not a joy. We don't hop out of bed. Hello, new day. Patting our little dog on the head and saying, Hi kids, how are you? Isn't it a glorious day? Open all the blinds and blind everyone whose eyes are glued shut with night goobers. And, you know, we just open the shade. No, we're not like that first thing, are we? Most of us get out of bed and don't talk to me until I've had seven cups of coffee. We're, we're, we're not a joy to speak to in the morning. And let's be honest, our breath ain't any better, is it? Our breath stinks. A lot of times our attitude stinks. Our conversations stink first thing in the morning. And so what a wonderful thing to do what Adam did before Eve was ever on the scene. Talk with God first. Talk with God first. It's a good habit to get into to talk with God before you ever talk with people first thing in the morning. And here's how it goes. This principle applies across the board. Husbands, talk with God before you speak with your wife. Wives, speak with God before you speak to your husband or your kids. Speak with God before you speak to your boss. Speak with God before you speak to your best friend. Speak with God before you speak with your worst enemy. Speak with God certainly before you speak to your boss. Speak with God by all means first before you speak with your mother-in-law. God first, people second. Say that with me. God first, people second. One more time. God first, People second. Now for real, one last time. God first, people second. What a wonderful principle modeled for us in the early pages of Scripture. Question number three. Question number three. Did I give you the therefore on that? Okay, good. 
Since God is sovereign, will He do... This is important. I want you to put your thinking caps on for this. Since God is sovereign, if you don't know what that means, it means God is large and in charge. He's got His plan. He's got His purpose. He's going to carry it out. Since God is sovereign, will He do what He's going to do with or without my prayers? The Bible is very clear that God is sovereign. The Bible is very clear that no matter what stupid decisions humans make, and no matter what mischief Satan gets up to here on earth, God will make sure that His predetermined purposes will be carried out, and every single one of His promises will be fulfilled. Amen? No matter how stupid we are with our decisions. No matter what mischief Satan gets into. So, does that mean then, hang with me here, does that mean then, That as God is carrying out His sovereign will, He will do everything He wants to do with or without our prayers. And the biblical answer is, no. No. Quick example, James 4, 2 and 3. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Church, never forget this. God wants to bless you. God desires to meet every one of your needs and give you good things, but you do not have because you do not ask God. Or as older translations put it, you have not because you ask not. There, were, there are any number of things that God will not do unless we ask them, Him to do them. For whatever reason, and this just boggles my mind, for whatever reason, God has limited the exercise of His sovereign will here on earth and made His will and made His working in our midst contingent upon our prayers. And that blows my mind. Is God sovereign? Yes. He will carry out His ultimate plans and purposes. But when we look at the daily decisions that need to be made, when we look at the specifics, there are certain things that God will not do unless we ask Him to do them. Therefore, we must ask God for what we need. Because there are many things that God wants to do, but won't do them unless we pray. Think about that. There are many things that God wants to do in your life that He will not do unless you pray. There are many things that God wants to do in your marriage that God will not do unless you pray. There are many things that God wants to do in this church and in your neighborhood and in the White House and in our world that God will not do unless Christians pray. Prayer is critical. I'll never understand this side of heaven why God has limited His ability to do His good will by making Himself dependent on prayer. But God has done just that. He needs us to pray. Question four, is any problem too big? Some of you need this answer today. Is any problem too big or any situation too difficult to be overcome through prayer? And I'm happy to report to you the biblical answer is, I seem to recall Jesus saying something to the effect of, Faith as large as a mustard seed could move a mountain. Do you remember something like that? I I, kind of remember uh, God's words saying something to the effect of, if we ask in His name, He'll do whatever we ask. 
If my memory serves me correctly, I remember Paul saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And is there just a a, a smidgen of a possibility that all things includes prayer? Absolutely it does. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to pray and to see His will carried out in my life. Therefore, the boldness of our prayers to God should match the boldness of our claims about God. I want you to ask yourself a soul-searching question. We all, in moments like this, when we're surrounded by Christians, are quick to offer an amen when I say, prayer changes things. When I say, God can do the impossible through you, through your prayers. It's easy for us to say amen, but let me ask you, is there a discrepancy between your amen to those statements and your actual prayers? Are your prayers much less bold than your claims about God? For many of us, if we answer that question honestly, we have to say yes. I say God can do all things. I say God can heal cancer. I say God can do this, that, or the other, but I don't pray like it. I hope that you can honestly admit that if that's the case and begin praying more boldly. The boldness of our prayers to God should match the boldness of our claims about God. Do you believe that? Fifth and final question. Does God promise to always listen to our prayers? Now, this answer surprises many Christians. The biblical answer is no. The biblical answer is no. One of the clearest examples of this in Scripture is in Isaiah 1 where God is talking to His chosen people Israel in Isaiah 1, 15-17. God tells His chosen people Israel, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Wow. That's to His chosen people Israel. Now, why on earth would God say such a thing? Why would God say, I refuse to listen to your prayers? Well, in the next two verses, He explains. He says, Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of My sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So why does God at times refuse to listen to the prayers of His followers? Because sin separates us from a holy God, doesn't it? And if sin separates us from a holy God, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that sin disrupts our communication line with God. Sin disrupts our communication with Him. Sin outside of our prayer times sabotages our communication with God during our prayer times. Therefore, we must make sure that our thoughts and our words and our actions aren't sabotaging our prayers. Some of you wonder, why your prayer lives seem a bit stale. Why they seem a bit weak. And you've not asked yourself the simple question, is it because my life, and specifically my obedience to Christ's commands, is stale and weak? You see, if our obedience to Christ is weak, our prayer is bound to be weak. If we're living in sin, there's bound to be a disruption because when I say that God is a holy God, I can't even myself fully grasp what just came out of my mouth just then. He is completely separated from sin. 
He is completely 180 degrees from any lustful thought, any selfish thought, any greedy thought. His hands are never full of sin. Completely pure. His motives are always completely pure. God is a holy God. And so oftentimes, we sabotage our own prayer lives by the way that we live, by the decisions that we make, by the words that come out of our mouths, by the hatred and anger and bitterness we harbor in our hearts toward our enemies, toward our ex-spouse or to our child that stabbed us in the back or to our ex-boss that fired us or whoever. So often the stuff that we don't put at the foot of the cross keeps us distant from God. And He's waiting. He's waiting for us to be honest. He's waiting for us to do what He asked us to do, to love Him, to love people, to obey His commands. Here's the bottom line for us today. If you truly desire to pray, if you long to talk with your Lord and listen to your Lord and and see your relationship with Him blossom into something new and beautiful and exciting, you can't just change the way that you've been praying. You must also change the way you've been living. Sinners don't have powerful prayer lives. Fully committed Christians do. It's as simple as that. Sinners don't move heaven and earth through their prayers. Humble, obedient Christians do. So in order to pray right, we need to live right. If you want God to listen to your prayers, you need to make sure you're listening to and obeying His commands. This month we're opening God's Word to learn how to pray right. But all the while, God is calling you and me to make sure that we live right. Because you see, powerful prayers, powerful prayers, and obedient lives go hand in hand. God's calling you to pray. The end of our service is going to be a little different today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer here in a moment. The praise team is going to come on up. I'll explain it in a moment. Let's pray first.